0: This is the Post-Shift Podcast, a real look at the hospitality industry. Good morning, afternoon, and evening to the post-shifters out there listening right in right now. Uh, We're looking at today, man, I've recorded so many episodes lately. We're looking at episode number 39, uh, number 10, big number 10 of the Toronto Cocktail Conference sessions, which I had uh, while I was in the Toronto Cocktail Conference in August we're looking at about October right now because I was just looking at the dates these he began posted and I was lucky enough to sit down with Sean Byrne from Maiden Eye, Madini, uh, not Maiden 2, um, Vermouth. It's an Australian Vermouth, really crazy story how they got started, really extrapolated growth that I didn't think that they had. I thought there was a lot more process to it um, from where they went. Like zero to 60. So um, I had a really good chat with him because at times I always talk about uh, young bartenders and taking your time and steps and steps and steps. And then other and then other, all of a sudden I interview someone who's like, oh yeah, I was 21 and I started working at Avery. And you're just like, ah, oh, fuck, you've just basically blown out my whole spiel on taking your time. But um, Sean is a great guy, obviously a fellow Australian, which it, it can sometimes go either way because sometimes I like Australians and sometimes I don't. Nine times out of 10, I don't so much. Um, But at the end of the day, oh, sorry, I just got a message in and Philip Duff just messaged me. I'm going to be recording a podcast with him very, very shortly in Singapore. Uh So you've got to look out for that one because uh, Mr. Duff is by far my uh, biggest mentor. But getting back to the episode at hand, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's with Sean Byrne from Maiden and I, depends on how you say it. And he actually goes through and explains how uh, they say it at the uh, winery. So I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thanks for the support. Have a good week. Bye. Cool. Awesome. Um, so am I looking... at you? you don't need to look at anything. You look at just me. Okay, cool. Um, it's going to sound really great on audio because... Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Sean Merton's my name. Um, I am, I think, 37 from memory. I always have to ask my wife that question. Um, so I've been in the liquor industry for all my life, really, starting from pancake parlor nice. when I was 16 years old as a as a lonely little waiter. I guess I rose to fame and stardom at Gin Palace, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Melbourne's infamous uh, gin den, uh, which has been around for 22 years now. That's
0: mental. This is hard for me to coming from Australia. I haven't been to Australia in since I came here 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I remember when Gin Palace opened, mm-hmm. and like it was just sort of around the time I started in the industry. Mm-hmm. So like in Melbourne, that was the benchmark. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what Vernon did, um, the owner of Jim Palace at that particular time, was around uh, the time when uh, liquor licensing laws were changing Mm -hmm. for getting in the small, a small bar liquor license, Mm -hmm. and went from something ridiculous like uh, you know eighty thousand dollars a year, for example, Mm -hmm. for having. A liquor license, and they put in this provision saying it's only going to be $3,000 a year as long as yeah. there's no, no more than 150 people. Yeah, it's one of the smartest things the government ever did to help the bar scene in uh, Melbourne.
0: 150 yeah, people still are people, of it's stuff. St- yeah, for a small bar, that's right. Yeah, definitely put some perspective how big the bars were that were regular liquor license, like pubs and oh, velvet, yeah, pies and 600, and yeah, 700, yeah, seven yeah, yeah keep going. Yeah. Some, yeah, some of
1: the pubs, particularly because you're from Brisbane, aren't yeah, you? yeah, you'd know then some of the bars like up Story there, Bridge, like 2,000 people, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah it's nuts. So, no, that was smart, and I mean, that's when, you know, Melbourne, uh, I guess, really took that uh, cocktail bar um, torch and really ran with it, and that mm-hmm. kind of become, I guess, the epicentre, and then Sydney only followed when they got the same kind of licensing laws, which mm-hmm. was only probably about seven seven years ago, I mm-hmm. think, but then Sydney gone on, oh, stuffed up, didn't they, with the, part the, part the government there, that's right, stuff. yeah, so... Have um, they lifted those yet? I've heard, like, talks uh, and stuff. Yeah, there's people, there's still people, it's going through courts and stuff, like I don't think I read something the other day with Justin Harris was doing a chat saying he's mm. killed nightlife life and stuff on um, there,
0: but... Yeah, he's lost, so, he's lost so much money out of...
1: Of course he <laughs> yeah, has, I yeah, I know, but it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. When you can't go, I mean, for for me as somebody who's a patron saint of hospitality, yeah. as they say, um, and you've got international guests coming through and they can't yeah. get a drink after 1.30, 2 o'clock, coming through and... It's yeah. so it doesn't really showcase the city and what, no, no. what it's all about we've never had that problem in Melbourne they tried to have that um, they did a trial for three months and there was big protests and stuff and luckily the government sort of turned around and said no, no deal um, this is not happening and now if they're to the point where they want to encourage uh, the other end of the scale they want to look at getting a kind of a nightmare kind of thing going on we've got a 24 hour public transport mm-hmm. on the weekends and stuff like that so yeah how old were you
0: when you started gym Palace? 25, 26. So that was 2005, to, well, 2000, Something like that, yeah. 2005,
1: 2006 sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and what did you start as? Um, What did I start as? Uh, bartender there? I, that was that came off the back of just going, I lived in London for four years. Okay. So And there I worked for the John Lewis Group, um, opening restaurants for them throughout the country. Oh, which was wow. Which was a really nice way to see the country, actually, on the company yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um But, uh, yeah, I started there as a, a bartender, but one of the theories of Jim pals was you always start on the floor. I've always considered myself more of a waiter than a bartender, anyway. Oh wow!
0: Um, you know, because the thing, another I mean, literally I'm... you're making oxymorons of like Australians, yeah, and, bar- and bartenders. <laughs> oh, yeah, I much prefer the floor than the bar. Oh yeah, so no yeah. bartender ever. No, I, I,
1: <laughs> I love getting my, I like designing the drinks, yep. and so I like getting behind the bar. But I, I much prefer the interaction with guests. Mm-hmm. it's one thing I miss from um, now that I've kind of pulled back and making my own liquors and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and only doing consulting and and events and stuff that, uh, yeah, it's that, that interaction, you know, when you have a guest that's coming in and, you know, when you're a destination bar like Jim Palace was and is, you know, people come there and they want to they want to experience something they haven't mm-hmm. experienced before um, and when you give them that good experience and uh, they leave with a big smile on their face stumbling up the mm-hmm. stairs, then, yeah. um, you know, that's a wonderful experience.
0: And Jim Palace sort of started the, the, the co- sort of cocktail bar trend because we really didn't have cocktail culture in Australia until like the, that early 2000s and then it started yeah. up a lot further. How long were you Gin pass for? Eight years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, did Medini gets? I'm pronouncing that right, no, right? How do you say it? <laughs> Depends who you speak to, Sean. Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> there's three business partners.
1: Okay. One of them. Come on. Yeah.
0: This <laughs> gets really deep now. Yeah,
1: there's three business partners. If uh, I call it made night because you know, I'm the bogan Aussie out of a lot of us. Yeah. Then uh, the winemaker, the other main business partner, Jolapalou, yeah. okay. uh, uh, he calls it Medigny. Um And then uh, Vernon, who's also the owner of Jim Palace, has a small share in the business and he pronounces it the correct Latin pronunciation, which is Medenii, Um which harks back to the botanical names and stuff like that, um, which is what the, the brand's named after.
0: So, which is the right way? Medina. Well, oh, you're yeah, a Bogan yeah, Aussie, yeah, mate. Yeah. So <laughs> just don't call it maiden two. Yeah. That's the only thing. have. <laughs> oh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah I can see that from the label. Um, so that that got spawned out of. <clears throat> but why at the time? Like, was it a lack of vermouth? Was no, it, a it was... curiosity and like p- p- picking gins and then pairing vermouth specific to those gins and stuff like that? Sort well, of spawn at all? It was. Uh, I was going through
1: a process as every bartender does with. Um, Uh, Particularly at that time, this was, I guess, before it was kind of more in the mainstream, we're making your own ingredients Mm -hmm. rather than purchasing them. You know, I started to look at each ingredient that we're purchasing in, you know, raspberry cordial, how can we make that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, grenadine, how can we make that? Um, uh, And different types of soft drink syrups and stuff like that. And then vermouth, well, you know, what's that? And looked at the bare bones ingredients Mm -hmm. of it uh, and tried to make my own, which was my first experience was not very good mm-hmm. but it was good enough for uh vernon to say well let's have a sit down have a chat with a winemaker friend of mine and we sat down and we talked all things vermouth and we got all that we could get our hands on in australia we kind of lined them all up and the one common thing that we noticed was um the commonality between a lot of them that was um i guess the lower quality grade of wine used in them mm-hmm. um and today we now know that as you know, as we go on and we learn that, uh, you know, old-world vermouths, and this doesn't mean that it's an incorrect way of doing it, no. it's just the, the way it has been done. It's the, the base wine is heavily filtered, neutral wine, mm-hmm. so it effectively uh, the wine provides a canvas mm-hmm. to paint the botanicals on, yeah. so to speak. And working with a winemaker is quite passionate, very good, and makes some delightful You're not going to
0: get into making any flabby Treppiano for it. No, <laughs> no, on, definitely not. <laughs>
1: um uh, we discussed about having good quality table yeah. wine so you know instead of having the wine as just the canvas it was one of the colors in the palette too wow if that makes sense
0: that's very philosophical yeah i know right so okay. from the time you started like that horrible first batch that you made yourself to yeah. how did it sort of progress from there in like r&d and development and because like it could be just like okay well he's going to give us a big batch of decent wine, and we're going to tweak a few things, or will make yeah. a batch in-house, and then well, that's pretty much the extent of it. Correct, yeah, so I guess we started with, uh, um, by sampling some wines
1: that he, he already had um, around, uh, and doing uh, macerates and botanicals, which the first lot that we trialled were, there was 120 botanicals, mm-hmm. single macerates and spirit, um, and then we just had a look at all of those, and then started building up combinations of flavour, and that was a really difficult, fun experience, but... Um, because uh, essentially when you, you know it's easy to balance two flavours but when mm-hmm. you balance a third flavour in there as I'm sure any bartender knows you know it can increase something spikes in on yeah, one and drops something it, drops in the other it gets so muddy you, and know, and so yeah. you've got to balance it again and then you bring in the next one and it does yeah. the same yeah. thing again so our first release was 16 uh, first trial batch was 16 botanicals and there was only 100 bottles we made and well, luckily enough Gilles was doing a uh, tasting with um, Banjo Harris playing out at Attica which, uh, for those not in the know, is one of the, one of the, the if not the best restaurant in Australia um, at the time and still today. And uh, he knew that um, Jill was always had something that's working on. He said, "What mm. else are you working on? You got something secret?" Gilles poured out the vintages, showed him, and Panjo said, "We'll take all of it." So we took all 100 bottles of our first batch. It's all Okay, cool. So we trialled. Did any good at. Jim Palace? I think a couple of bottles may have went there. <laughs> Um, and then the second batch we did, uh, we upped it to 200 bottles, uh, some more botanicals, uh, I think it was up to 23 at that stage. Um, showed Banjo again and he said, yep, we'll take all of it. And then the third one, um, uh, we pushed it up to 34 and that's where we were happy and we're ready uh, with us and uh, showed it to him again and said, yep, we'll take the whole barrel, which is uh, 300 bottles. Wow. And we were never going to release that product. That was always a testing ground to yeah. see how the botanicals integrated with the wine and that evolved to be made in my like classic vermouth. Wow, um, we're only ever going to do a dry and a sweet. And funnily enough, since that day, that's been one of our most popular ones. It's very hard to uh, showcase to bartenders, but uh, people in restaurants, one hundred percent, it's a lot more bitter. It's a, I guess, it's more akin to an americana. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, the, there's a heavy proportion of gentian root in mm-hmm. there, which gives it a bitterness. Um, uh, and yeah so it's been a favorite of restaurants ever since
0: wow mm-hmm. because I think the hard thing with some of these weirder more obscure stuff, especially when we stuck into the craft realm and the, mm-hmm. that sort of thing is like uh, I recently did something with absinthe mm-hmm. and everybody's tasting it neat mm-hmm. and I'm like well that's not how you drink absinthe though where's the water mm-hmm. and a little bit of sugar maybe that's not true. even sugar but like drinking it how it is and like drinking straight vermouth obviously for the geeks out there, mm. cold glass of vermouth is never a bad thing. No. But then you start playing around with the different gins and that sort of thing and then you mm. really start seeing it sing through and shine yeah. through. And I think sometimes taste something and go, nah, and then mm. push it aside instead of going, okay, well, let's make it, let's get six gins off the back bar, Yeah, make it with the same proportions and give mm. it a try and then see how we we right. Yeah, you start to see how everything, because I mean, we'll, as I always say, uh, vermouth is the gin of the wine world. Yeah. <laughs> um, because
1: <laughs> we share a lot exactly. of the same botanicals. You know, they've just got a spirit base, but we've got a wine yeah. base. It's um...
0: And so that from all that time, how long were we talking, like time-wise? Was this a quick process? Well,
1: it was much quicker than what any kind of uh, start, except for my new liqueur company, which has just flown through the roof. Uh, but there was probably, you know, it was a couple of years um, before it was in every state in Australia and we had distribution in wow. every state in Australia which is rather quick and that's from that first lunch just talking about yeah. it to where we actually were you know because uh, we are basically during the testing times I think it was about a six or seven month lead time before vintage was because mm-hmm. the way we make our vermouths now is that we have to do it all at vintage time um, because we arrest uh, the fermentation mm. um, with the tinctures yep. which retains the natural grape sugars, meant don't have to add caramels It's a a really difficult way about doing doing it because you have to, you know, how hot it is and the ferments run run quick or slow. Um, But uh, it definitely gives us uh, an incredible product at the end of the day. Do you use specific groups per per move? And is it the same
0: every single time or does it tweak a little bit every season? No, no, uh,
1: it's the the same sometimes. We might add a little bit more of a, a... um, uh, fill of a grape, but mm-hmm. by and large we're talking you know the last 2% mm-hmm. um, we have to take, tweak the botanicals year on year mm-hmm. this is the funny thing because uh, you know everyone knows wine changes every year yeah right? but
0: no one talks about no one, one talks very, about yeah.
1: the botanicals changing yeah the botanicals change um, every year one year we had um, we got a batch of an, uh, anise myrtle um, which was just incredibly overpowering anise um, we had to really pull that back so the way we make it, doing the single macerates of each yeah. individual botanical, and there's 34 of them, before we make the master tincture, which we then use to fortify yeah. the wine during ferment, We have to adjust that year on year on year, wow. and that depends on the base wine as well that we've actually uh, fermented. So there's there's a, there's a lot of tasting and um, making sure that we're doing it to a house stand. I'm very lucky to work with um, you know such a such a, a talented winemaker. Um,
0: so your winemaker does the whole process. Uh Yeah, with a little bit of your, your hands in there in between. Yeah, yeah, essentially he, he deals with all the wine um, and I'll make the, the
1: tinctures um, and yeah, he follows the whole process. Wow. Mm. And uh, is it proprietary what grapes are in the, the wine? No, definitely not, no. So, um, I mean, we've, we've used because We also do custom blends for a mm-hmm. lot of restaurants and bars as well. Um, so, uh, the main ones we use in our varieties, um, uh, our classic one, which I spoke of before, yep. is uh, Syrah. Uh, we use Viognier for the Driver uh, Move. Our King mm-hmm. kin- uh, Kina, um, uh, we use uh, Viognier as well. Um, and what we else do you use? Sweet, we use Cabernet. Wow. Um, and for our Nocturne, um, the Von uh, we've used a variety of things from because uh, they're all old wines. Mm-hmm. Um, the first batch was a ten-year-old full rosé made from Syrah. We've also added Nebbiolo to it. Wow! Um, some Vermentino, like uh, essentially all the grapes come from Central Victoria. Yeah, um, they've all got a very specific purpose. Um, and being a French winemaker, it's not always 100% one grape <laughs> variety that yeah. we're using. It's about making sure that we're getting a consistent flavour mm-hmm. year, year
0: on year. And how many barrels have you got on offer now? Uh, well, it depends on what... <laughs> okay. that's, um, it's amazing that you do custom blends for restaurants and bars. That's... Yeah, that's... That's kind of cool. Yeah, so that was always fun. So we did some for uh, Speakeasy Group,
1: that Sven's yep. group over there, uh, which was a fruit and nut vermouth, uh, designed a pair of whiskeys. Um, we oh, did an Americano man. for Long Chim, which was uh, kind of a Thai-inspired, heavy on salt and uh, gal and wow. and lime um, Americano. Uh, but blend. suppose when
0: you got your big library of... Yeah, tinctures you can really just it's really you gain your Correct. base right and then you just go okay well let's we'll tweak the well, tinctures for, yeah, out yeah that's then. right for those ones we actually use finished wine yep. um, and
1: then we'll sweeten oh, okay. all with uh, you know uh, either grape, uh, concentrated grape master or universe sugar or honey we mm-hmm. used. also um, uh, yeah a, a variety of different sweeteners um, but in I guess uh, what we because we do unfiltered vermouth as well because mm-hmm. when we make the the vermouth some of it gets rested in barrel some of it gets rested in tank. gets blended together and goes through Uh, cross-flow filtration Mm -hmm. Um, but that obviously removes particulate but it also removes some of the flavour because that's the intensity so it cleans it up um, so it's always you know it's the addicts of vermouth choice because it's super intense mm-hmm. and we do those in magnums yeah I'll tell you what the look where you get on the face of a barbecue when you turn up with a magnum of vermouth <laughs> and put it on the <laughs> table
0: well I think sometimes that's what bartenders sometimes forget is that you get romanced into how to make a moose on liquor.com and stuff like that yeah but then the process that a lot the companies do to clean it up yeah and like I, I'm sure you've done as well as like you taste yeah. so many house vermouths that are muddy as hell yeah like you can just tell it's either been oversteeped it feels like yeah. and you get that muddy flavour because it hasn't been that, had that strong filter you put yeah. it through a coffee filter that's great but that's weird yeah. <laughs> I mean I think it's uh, I've always said vermouth it's, it's something it's easy to make but hard to make well oh good call so during when you were launching been a, it was a couple of years between launching and, and development and all so that so it was really quick were you still bartending that whole time at gym palace yeah yeah definitely wow and how long after the Vermouth launch, d- did you finish up at Gene Powers? must have been a couple of years, I reckon. Really? Yeah. So you were juggling sure. like a, a burgeoning, quick yeah. quick expanse for Vermouth Company? Yeah, there's no
1: easy, you know, there's, a, there's no easy way to roam, you know. You've got to uh, do the hard yards to, to uh, you can't just click your fingers and make it all happen. So, um, yeah, we're, I definitely had to subsidise what we were doing. To, yeah. and, and, you know, I was very lucky. We were at the right place at the right time to be launching Vermouth. Uh, working with the right people. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't. It's hard to replicate that kind of thing sometimes. So
0: putting passion before money, that sort that's of thing. That's right.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, Jill and I never really had the discussion about uh, money kind of stuff uh, for us uh, We saw it as a bit of kind of a bit of fun. See yeah. where this goes, kind of thing, and it just really took off. Wow. And so, when
0: when did you leave Gym Palace? Four years ago, maybe three years ago. Oh wow! So not that long either. No. So, how long's uh, the movie been out for now? Eight or nine years. Wow, that's a lot of expansion. Now that you're worldwide. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, we we, said. You know, some of the big things were selling it back to the Italians and selling it back to the French.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Fantastic. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. My camera died battery, which really sucks, but that's that's completely fine. <laughs> so you you went from bartending at you went from bartending at uh, the gin palace Palace yeah to start a Vermouth company yep and then you wrote a book all about Vermouth two years ago uh yes
1: yes so was no hang on last year it got launched
0: the year before it got written so two years ago yes so did you like obviously you've made your own Vermouth and created the brand stuff when you wrote the book though did you have to basically go back to school Oh yeah, definitely very much so because the books are not all about, it's not, the, it's not called The
1: Book of Maid no, it's called The Book of the Moose. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely through the lens of Maid no. Yeah. So it's how we do it. But Jill um, and I had to do a lot of research um, uh, with how other producers have been doing it for years and talk to them yeah. and, uh, and stuff like that. Half the book's about information and then half the book's about mm-hmm. the, it's cocktails. Um, but there's also, uh, we got uh, chefs that have uh, contributed recipes on how to cook with the moose, Awesome. Which is easy. I don't know why more people don't do it. It's a simple thing: a risotto at home using vermouth instead of white wine. It's yeah. a no-brainer. Um, so, yeah, we have to do a lot of research uh, on that, and the book is very much focused. You know, it, 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 for us, wine is important. Yeah. Um, you know, it has to make up by law more than seventy-five percent of mm-hmm. the product. So um, it stands to reason there's an importance placed on that, mm-hmm. um, and that's very much our focus, now, I believe. Um, and our uh, belief, and. Yeah, just talking to other producers and uh, she did a couple of trips to, you know, Marseille and uh, Chaparri and uh, over to Turan to uh, see what the other, you know, the old age mm. producers are doing and kind of uh, compare and then put together some, uh, you know, a bit of an informational package to be
0: able to put in the book. Because I always find some of the weirdest stuff, like I love love these days when people geek about sours and, and that sort of thing. It's like if you look at sherry, like the weirder things, are like sherry vermouth, uh, Lambex and Sour Beers, like, mm. they're technically using up, well, Vermouth is using up bad wine-ish mm. to create, then saving it. Mm-hmm. Sherry, you're basically letting something oxidize on purpose, mm-hmm. and a Sour Beer, you're letting a weird strain of yeast <laughs> go in and mm. turn it sour. Yeah, And it's like, now imagine if that none of that existed, and mm. you went to a bank with a business plan to create Sherry, where you yeah. take really good Palomino, mm. and then you let it oxidize under a fungus cap for mm. yeah. years I know. and like you look at I've seen a picture of Nolly Pratt where they uh, have all the barrels full of vermouth out in the field mm-hmm. and they just got sprinklers going so I'm like who does that I know like, yeah. there's, there's certain things that mm. in modern times we, we romance for sure but you th- think back like who thought about doing that mm. two three four hundred years ago I know to well, save it, it it's an evolution though isn't it yeah uh, you know it's a I guess
1: it wouldn't have started out like
0: that. So certainly, it's evolved over time. And I love, I love, I love your Vermouth book. Yeah, have like, you read it? I've read bits of it. Yes, yes. yes I just, I absolutely love Vermouth, and uh, I'm always fascinated with how Vermouth plays with gin mm. um, to a, a really quite a bit extensive degree. Mm-hmm. Where uh, a lot of my bars, I build gin lists with the exact move that should go with it yep. so it's a very fun day when you pull out every single gin and every single booth yep. and you yeah. make a martini yeah. <laughs> seven times and then you taste it and go which one's the best yep. Yep. and then everybody signs off on it as a group and then that's mm-hmm. the way the, the things get made yeah, same yeah. portions every single time yeah that's the rules but uh, how do you find like how do you find time because I think a lot of people look at successful bartenders like yourself and look at all things like so consulting and all the sort of background stuff that rarely gets posted on Facebook but mm-hmm. you've got the, you did the vermouth book you have, you have the vermouth mm-hmm. you travel a ton mm-hmm. and then you just wrote another book too yes and what's All Day Cocktails about?
1: Uh, so uh, All Day Cocktails is about um, low to no ABV drinking with a mind to sustainability okay. and I guess that's come off of the back of um, uh, another brand that I've launched in the last two years being Barry Out um, which is huge at the moment for us in Australia um, last two years running best liquor in Australia for our conceits wow um, at the biggest Australian spirits awards uh, Vanguard's just taking distribution which is one of the most prominent uh, distributors uh, there uh, working with Nick Tessar, who's um, world class bartender and Hugh Leacher who work with me Jim Pallison the designer of Maiden I Laura Monkowski, um, uh, to create these ones I think we're up to six now seven and one of the aim is 20 um, so, Aquus. yeah. So we want to be that cocktail stable. So essentially, you know, we can replace uh, um, all the stuff that you know that you'll have on your backbar because yeah. every cocktail bar needs a certain amount of peelers mm-hmm. and being able to have that stuff. And we that really, one, that one key area, yeah, like once right. every three months you needable, that's right, Yeah. <laughs> and we work directly with Australian farmers. Um, well, uh, you know, bypassing the whole supply chain, helping them to not only use up their ugly fruits but uh, also reimbursing them. You know, like fair uh, trade and all that
0: sort of thing? Yeah, of course, because... And ugly, farmers, fru- ugly fruit everywhere is a big problem. It's a massive
1: problem in Australia. It's, it's ridiculous. Like Our apricot farmer in 2018 had to throw out 2,500 tonnes of... Fr- no, was it was 2,500 tonnes? Yeah, I think it was two and a, uh, over the season or something ridiculously large. Of just fruit that didn't look right? Um, because there was one day of hail, which oh, gave blemishes yep. to the outside of the peaches... Um, and uh, yeah you yeah, have to throw them out to get them to cattle food our strawberry farmer um, he uh, when we had a strawberry needle scandal yeah. in Australia so oh, yeah, put yeah. a needle in the strawberry and then all of a sudden supermarkets just stopped purchasing strawberries and I guess this isn't really an ugly fruit movement but, uh, he but was still, I remember sick, that and you saw this dump trucks,
0: dump trucks just fucking pulling up to landfills and just yeah. <laughs> And yep. we're giving them to cows to make strawberry yeah. milk, as he always says. <laughs> <laughs> so, what liqueurs do you have right now? Cassis, well, I've got a, a
1: cassette of dry cassis, so some of We've got cassis, an orange curacao, an apricot brandy, an amaretto, a muir, um, a grasse, which you'll see in all those old fashioned yeah. cocktail books as a syrup rather than as a liqueur. We've got a nonchino, which we uh, developed with uh, Orlando Mazzo. World class champion yep. bartender of last year, um, and a couple of recipes he's done for us. And then upcoming this year, we've got a peach a strawberry as a coffee next year. You're basically
0: going to put Suntory, the Suntory, yeah. Minori range out that's of smart. business. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess between that, and craft
1: Japanese stuff is right. everywhere. Yeah, kirisau and my melon. Goodness. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I've been. I'm a Midori kick. lately, because <laughs> I found Midori in Singapore. So I have a Japanese slipper slushy. Oh, i right now.
1: Invented in Melbourne, apparently. Yes, I mean, yes. It's
0: 1985. It's, there you go. Which
1: is just mental because we all thought they were <laughs> the coolest shit when we started bartending. They, bar were. they Do you really remember were. those Midori illusion shakers, you used oh, to get yeah. and everyone used to have one of those, awesome. drinking shots of them out of the cap,
0: thinking you were hardcore. What was what was the thought? What was the thought behind the uh, the liqueur range? Was it more of that like, again? That sort of necessity out of need. Like the, oh. that we sort of spawned? There was, um, no, no, it was uh, a lot more particular. I've been a
1: judge for the Australian Still Spirits Awards for a number of years, um, and I love doing it, it's great. And uh, I love doing, uh, the liqueur and the brandies, are always yeah. my favorite judge, and they obviously always put me in gins. Um, and the, there was a real lack of kind of premium uh, fruit liqueurs that we noticed mm-hmm. um, in there. There's, there's plenty of availability, but there was no one really concentrating on mm-hmm. that area we thought there's a real opportunity because we know that there's fruit in Australia mm-hmm. and the farmers are by you know and large farming in Australia is not easy no. um and uh and we've got great fruit so trying to kind of promote that aspect of it that in your liqueurs there's something behind that you know mm-hmm. there's actually there's a fruit there's a farmer um there's a story to be told um and uh something that's um you know uh that we can do from a more sustainable edge rather than uh uh, rather than more, uh, uh, what's already out there, by using you know, I guess uh, synthetic dyes and mm-hmm. flavour enhancers and stuff like that, using real fruit. Um, so that was really our tact for us, um, and it's just it's it's gone nuts. It's grown so much. I mean, Drinks International put us on as their top nine trending liqueurs in the world. That's fantastic. I mean, it, all the the ones above us were people who've been doing it for probably hundreds of years, yeah. um, and. Yeah, it was just phenomenal. It blew us away. And uh, the market over there has been incredibly supportive um, in Australia for the, the, the product. And uh, I think we've really hit kind of a niche, you know, the premium for the
0: cure market. Well, you're not putting out another gen. It's not uh, another craft gen or another craft right, vodka. Yeah. You're actually showing up and going, hey... Should try this. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I've always been good at playing around the edges, yeah. Sean. Yeah. the move, <laughs> the killers. <cures>. Oh, trust <laughs> me. Like I love. Like we have, we have seventy-eight distilleries in BC right now. Yeah, and of course that means that we have at least seventy-eight gens. Yeah, at least. Yeah. yeah. So you, you yeah. only can go so far. Like how many? Like, and we've got sixteen distilleries on the island alone on Vancouver Island. Really? So like everybody's super craft. Focused in yeah, BC, course, but like yeah. it's all gin. We are starting to get more of those outskirts, like craft lemoncellos, and mm. we've even got a craft uh, blue curacao. Lovely, yeah. Craft blue curacao, cool. Yeah. We may be thinking of do, doing a limited release of blue curacao. Yeah, next they do year. it as a, as a Sons of Vancouver in um, in Vancouver, and every year, you know, every brand brings out maple Fool's products. Yeah, yeah. They actually follow through. <laughs> and so they did a blue curacao. They did a coffee liqueur. Your coffee liqueur sucks. Yeah, runs, um, and then uh, they got the coffee shop right next door, so they get all the coffee from there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this year they did coconut rum. Cool. So a craft Malibu. Lovely. There you go. <laughs> Is yeah. Using honey as the base because it's got to be a local uh, producer, of course. So you can't use NGS or anything like that. So yeah. fermented honey, coconut. Wow. Done. How did it turn out? Awesome. And yeah. They sold. They sold out. In like three days. Yeah, right. And uh, a lot of, because Tiki in the Pacific Northwest is pretty centralized in Seattle. Okay. And they had people dry up from Seattle just buying 10 cases. 10. Just go, 120 bottles, done for that Tiki bus. There you go. So, <laughs> That's unbelievable. So what's 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 next in 2019, 2020? Are you taking a break anytime time soon? Uh, uh,
1: I wish I could. I've got a seven and a half month hold at home. So um, it's our first uh, child. So... That takes up a lot of time, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, Genevieve, if you're listening, you shouldn't be listening to this, you're too young. Um, uh, just more growth with um, uh, with liqueur brands, I guess, and uh, you know, getting each of those new products uh, coming out and probably finding a home for that space. We're heading up to event season, which is when uh, for in uh, Melbourne where my consultancy really kicks in. Okay, look at uh, uh, a lot of uh, musical events and stuff that we do, catering options and opening bars and restaurants, etc. Um, and then Maiden and I just continuing doing what we're doing growing the brand and getting it uh, in front of more people and making good vermouth that's epic okay. so yeah there's quite a lot on the plate I would like to slow down but I'm I can not seem to stop my business partners always tell me when I'm coming up yeah. with a new idea or something like that they say hey Sean let's just, let's just finish this yeah, other I had idea that, I, had, I had that conversation oh. with my wife last night we just fi- uh, yeah, Nick and I just finished a manuscript for the third book which uh, will really? be out in July next year wow
0: yeah on punch um, oh that's right you told me that last time but like yeah. I I'm about to put out my second book and it is a it is somewhat of a nightmare mm. like it is it is like to because like yourself and like Morgan Thaler down in Portland yep like banging out manuscripts takes a lot of fucking time it
1: does yeah it's, it's difficult you start to second guess yourself when you're writing um, I for me personally anyway I do and it's stuff that you've learned along the way and then you
0: always worry about who's going to say what. That's and right, like, yeah. In this
1: age of social media where a lot oh. of people can be <laughs> hypercritical of what's going out there, um, uh, I try to be as positive as possible. And, um, you know, it really does make you think, I guess, you know, which is the benefit to make sure you're not putting anything out there in the world that's uh, incorrect. Um, so, it's, yeah, because I mean, I can talk at length on any kind of subject yeah. for what's something that I'm passionate about, but... Um, making sure it's factual it's the most difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and,
0: that, and that's also the hard thing is I think with the internet these days it's a little bit easier to find this information but there was, going mm. back to like when we started in the industry, no internet. No. And, and you dial up. Yeah, yeah, and was... you get you'd get a book from, like I have a whole bunch of books in Australia that are probably never bring in Canada but like, every time I walk by a bookstore I was like, okay, well I've got to get a new book. Mm. And I remember like, you read all the things like i think the best story ever is the manhattan the creation of the manhattan with uh, Winston churchill's mom and all this mm. and stuff like some of us said that was fucking that was like written in stone mm. for like a decade mm. and then dave waddish comes out and he's like yeah that didn't happen she wasn't and he's like yeah but it's yeah. such a great story well that's yeah. that's what cocktails
1: are yeah. it's a story it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be true as long as yeah. it's selling the drinks. It's all, it's all, about, the, <laughs> it's right. all about the marketing and PR. No, that's
0: right. It's the romance of it all. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you sitting down, sitting down with me, buddy. I, uh, I always, I don't usually like Australians, but uh, I actually, uh, I actually, don't mind sitting down. With Stop it! You're making me blush. I think the camera is If Smolensky was in this room right now, which Are you talking. Oh, he's texted. He's just got off the phone four minutes ago. Epic, yeah, yeah. we timed that perfectly. <laughs> um, but thanks again, bud. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, man. Well, Cheers. What's pleasure? thanks guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and people who I haven't met before or mentors or people I idolize and uh, fanboy out a little bit. Uh, I really hope you enjoy uh, the episodes and uh, everything you get from them Um, because I'm just going to keep loving doing them and they're just going to keep happening. But uh, I recently started working uh, with Beyond Footwear out of Toronto. Um, Beyond Footwear is, if you've looked at my Instagram or my social media, uh, my uh, fantastic shoes that I wear around. uh, My pink flamingos get a lot of attention um but I, i've started working with them as their brand ambassador so if you go to beyondfitwear.com so b-i-i-o-n footwear.com and order a pair of shoes and type in my name and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast you know how to spell my name you'll get 20% off a pair of shoes um, I really enjoy them I, they're comfy as hell I travel in them I work in them I do absolutely everything in them um, and I really enjoy working with these guys it's an amazing company out of Toronto and I am thankful that I have been given the opportunity to be a brand ambassador so I want to thank everybody for the support for the podcast I want to thank everybody for uh, following along on social media and uh, if you want a cool gangster pair of shoes you've got to have a pair of Beons. see you guys bye